Have you ever tried to um, communicate like a plan to somebody and to get a point across that you had in mind and they just like completely missed the point? Like they didn't just not get the memo, but they looked at you and they were like, what's a memo? Speaking of that, what is a memo? Is it like an email, like a text message? I think it is, but it's on paper, I guess, right? But you try to communicate something to someone and they just didn't get it and they didn't get it to the point that you had to kind of go back to the start and just rebuild and just get down back to the foundational beginning of the whole plan you tried to lay out to begin with. It reminds me of a story of a pastor who was trying to communicate to his congregation this point of um, you know, being grounded in God and having a healthy you know, foundation for your life. So the pastor had four jars laid out on a table in front of his congregation, and each jar had a worm in it, except the worm, one jar had uh, good, clean soil, Another jar had uh, alcohol, a third jar had cigarette butts, and the other jar was full of chocolate syrup. And the pastor said, now at the end of this church service, we're going to see, I'll give you an update on how the worms are doing. So he preached a sermon, they did a worship service, and at the end of the service, the pastor gave an update, the worms and and the alcohol, cigarette butts, and the chocolate syrup, they're all dead. But the worm in the soil was happy and alive, and the pastor looked at the people and he said, now, do you understand the purpose of this illustration? And a woman raised her hand and she said, yeah, if I drink and I smoke and I eat a bunch of chocolate, I'm not going to get worms. And the pastor, the pastor said, no, you missed the point completely. I'll have to go back to the start and help you understand what I'm trying to tell you about this plan. Sometimes we just miss the point. And this happened to Jesus over and over again. I wish I could see the faces of the disciples and the crowds when Jesus would say some of these things to people, how they would react to some of these plans and things of God that he would lay out and and how they would respond in return. They had to be dumbfounded. They had to, to sort of, Jesus had to sort of, I'm sure he read the room, he could sort of see the feedback he was getting and then he maybe said to himself, I'm going to have to break this down on a fundamental level for them to understand some of the things I'm trying to say. And maybe not just break down the teaching, but I might have to break them down before I can build them back up again to help them understand God's way of seeing things. It's sort of like that chisel video you just saw. Maybe I have to chip away some stuff so that you have a deeper understanding of what I'm trying to communicate to you. Because sometimes God will tell us a plan to our face. And we don't, we don't get it. It just goes over our head. Now, this happened in Mark chapter 8. It happened in Mark chapter 8 quite a bit, where Jesus speaks to his disciples only, and he says, okay, all the people out there that are following us, all these crowds, who do they say that I am? And they said, well, Lord, I, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're a prophet. Some say you're uh, Elijah. Okay, but who do you say that I am? Jesus is not insecure. He knows exactly who he is, but he's probing their intents, their motivations of their hearts to see if, are we in the same wavelength here? Do you really see what's going on? And they answer correctly. They said, yes, Lord, you're the Christ. You're the, you're the Messiah. So Jesus says, okay, we're tracking here. I think we're on the same page. You see what's going on? So I'm going to tell you something that's a really big deal, and I think you'll be able to receive it. So I'm going to entrust you with something. Here it comes. I'm going to suffer. 
I'm going to get rejected by all the religious people. I'm going to die, and then I'm going to rise from the dead in three days. You got it? You tracking with God's plan? Everything makes sense? And the disciples are thinking, whoa, that's a big sentence you just dropped on us. It was such a big matzo ball, Peter couldn't handle it. Peter grabs Jesus, pulls him aside, and does the most human being thing ever, which is tell God what he ought to be doing, right? He pulls Jesus aside and says, whoa, 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 Lord, we're not going to let that happen to you. We're here to protect you, Jesus. You're not going to die? No, 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 don't listen. That's not going to happen. You know, it's, it's very human of us to hear God's plan, even when he tells it to our face, and we don't get it. We say to God, no, 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 God, that, you don't understand. Let me fill you in on how things are going to work. And then Jesus rebukes Peter. And he realizes, I'm going to have to break this down before I can build them up again. And so he turns to the crowd. He turns to the disciples. And he says, if any of you want to follow me, you're going to have to take up your cross and die. Because if you lose your life for me and the gospel, you're going to find your life. So don't pursue all this other stuff because you're going to lose your life one day anyway. So you may as well lose it for me now while you can. And, and you re, you don't have to realize that to access the kingdom of God, the key that unlocks that door is repentance. It's the denial of self. It's letting go of control. Maybe letting God chisel. So you see here in Mark chapter 8, starting in verse 31. Then he began, Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. He said all this quite openly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. For you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. Then he called the crowd with his disciples and said, If anyone will become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? Those who are ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of them the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Now, it's, if we've been in church for a while, it's easy to hear this passage and hear a sermon that just says, hey, deny yourself. And I've heard that sermon before. You've heard that sermon before. Deny yourself. You should die to yourself and follow Jesus. And that's true. But I think there's more going on here. It's, yes, that is good, but why? Why is he telling them and us to do that? What, why? I think you can break down this little passage of Mark 8 in two sections. The first is of 31 through 33 is really, we don't, God's ways are not our ways, clearly. He tells the plan to everybody and they just don't get it. And then the remainder of the passage is Jesus saying, let me help you understand God's ways. This is the first step to helping you understand what I've been trying to tell you. You said I was the Christ, you got that right, I tried to tell you the plan that God's gonna do, and you totally missed the point. So let me help, let me break it down 
by kind of breaking you down first to help you be able to receive what God is trying to say. Don't just think in human terms, but see the spiritual ramifications of what I'm asking you. So as I said, Jesus thinks that, yeah, we're on the same wavelength here. The disciples, I think we're tracking each other. And then I can give them some big news, and then Jesus gets rebuked by Peter. And in response to this rebuke, Jesus addresses the motive that's behind Peter's action, which is exactly what you would expect God to do, because the Lord sees the heart. He doesn't look at just the external stuff. If you and I had that problem with Peter, we may have an argument, and we say, shut up, Peter, don't tell me what to do. You know, we might have that human interaction, but Jesus looks at the spiritual aspect of what's happening in this scenario, and he does exactly what you and I would do, right? We talk directly to Satan. No, but he does that. He directly skips the middleman, just kind of pushes Peter out of the way, and talks to the devil. Now, when we think of Satan and, and these sorts of words, we can, I think of Dana Carvey in Saturday Night Live and doing the church lady bit. Remember that? And Satan, and you, know, you sort of write it off as foolishness, and, and it's, it's, it's silly, it's something children believed in, but now we're graduated adults and we don't believe in that stuff anymore. But it's not foolishness to Jesus. Far from it. Jesus knew exactly, he knew Satan from the very beginning. He knew him before he fell. He knew him when his name was Lucifer. It's interesting that Jesus doesn't call him Lucifer here because he was stripped of that title when he fell from, from heaven. He, didn't have, he doesn't have that name anymore because he's not that being anymore. He's a fallen, decrepit, irredeemable, evil creature. And so now he has a name that's merely an adjective. It's a descriptor of who he is. He's an accuser. He's a liar. He's a murderer. He's a stealer. He's a deceiver. And so he refers to him as Satan and says to him, you're not focusing on divine things, but you're only looking at the human aspect of what's happening here. Get out of the way. I got work to do, Satan. I don't have time for you. Jesus has authority over every evil force in the world. He can look at the devil in the face and tell him to get lost. Isn't that awesome? <laughs> you, you, you don't have any power here anymore. You're, you're already defeated. So he addresses the spiritual because our battle is not against flesh and blood in this world. Our battle is against principalities and powers. What that means is there's hierarchies of evil, there's hierarchies of angels, there's hierarchies of demons and the devil. Our battle is not against another human being, but against forces of evil in this world. I have people that I deeply disagree with in the United Methodist Church, but they're not my enemy. My enemy is not a Democrat or a Republican. I love those people. My enemy is the forces of evil in this world that want to inflict damage upon human beings. And so our, that's our battle, that we battle with prayer and fasting and Bible reading and worship. That's the battle, the inward battle. And Paul would write about this in Ephesians 6.12, the way of looking at the world in this way that Jesus is doing here, where Paul says, our struggle is not against enemies of flesh and blood but against rulers, against authorities, cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Don't look, at the, don't look at the human thing, but look at the divine thing. If we follow Jesus and that's what he did, maybe we need to work that muscle a little bit more with our lives as well. 
So there's the first part, God's ways are not our ways, and then we get to the second part of the passage. I'm gonna help you understand God's ways. And how do we do that? Well, Jesus says, pretty bluntly, come and die. Take up your cross. To the early audience that heard that, they knew automatically what he was talking about. They would walk down the street and see a person on a cross. It was a sign of Roman occupation. It was a sign of people that were such bad criminals, they wouldn't just throw them in jail, but they would literally crucify them on the side of roads. These people grew up seeing crucified people everywhere. And so when you saw someone on a cross, you knew you don't mess with the Roman Empire, because if you do, you'll end up like that. So if Jesus says, take up your cross, they were like, what? You want me to do that? I don't want to be like that. It'd be like today him saying, take up your noose and follow me. Take up your electric chair and follow me. It's intense. Be prepared to suffer. Because being a Christian, needs to be said, being a Christian is it's not always easy, right? It can be hard. It's a challenge. That's precisely, that's precisely why it's true. It's because it's not easy. It can be hard. If God demands all of your heart and soul and mind and strength, he does that because he loves you, not because he wants to challenge you only and be a burden upon your life. But one reason Jesus is rebuking Peter and Satan in this moment is because he's essentially saying, if you're going to follow me, you got to check the ego at the door. It's not going to work. It's not going to fly if you want to understand what I'm trying to tell you. Growing up, my uncle was an auctioneer. And believe it or not, at about 10 years old, someone had the great idea, hey, why don't you take Clark to a car auction? A lot of colorful characters at car auctions in the 1980s. And so I got to go to a few auctions. And, uh, you know, the whole, blah, 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 you know, the whole, <laughs> the whole scene there. And it was people smoking, you know, it's just pretty, uh, pretty uh, interesting place to be. And I remember there were two rules, really, of car auctions. The first one was, don't scratch your nose at the wrong time. Because you might end up buying a car. And secondly, always know your high limit. Always know the limit you, won't, you don't want to go past. Don't give in to the frenzy of the moment. Know your upper limit. The great danger of the Christian life is that many of us could walk into it with an upper limit in our mind, like the video said about control and chisel control. And we won't go past it. Yeah, Lord, I'll follow you, but I want to be in charge, though. And I won't go past what I want to do. See, Jesus doesn't allow us to set the upper limit because he knows that if we do, we won't ever want to go past it. So he essentially just says, give it all. Die for me. It sounds extreme, but he knows our nature, that if we don't go all in, we might not give our all. He's calling to a life of unconditional obedience where the price might be unknown for the future, but it's in God's hands. You may lose your life for his sake, but you know what? You're going to lose your life one day anyway. So why not lose it for him? It's not an if, but a when. So as he says here in Mark 8, it's not only a call to self-denial, but it's a call to just reorder and prioritize your life 
toward the inevitable. Let me reshape you now. And it might take going back to square one, but I have the best intentions for your life. Because Jesus knows what happens after death. He knows what the things of heaven in the greatest of detail. He sees it all. He always has. And so he is the authority to look at the trajectory of a human life and ask the question, why are you doing that? Why are you giving so much time and energy to all this stuff that doesn't matter? Why are you trying to trade your life for things that you can't take with you anyway? What, why not lose it for me? Because you're losing it for all this other stuff. You're not going to gain anything of it. What do you get in the return for your soul? And deep down, we know the answer to that question. Nothing. There's nothing you could trade for the value of your life. He says, why? Why not give it to me instead? Now we hear this message and we think, okay, it's Lent. We're calling the sermon series a season of renewal. How in the world is this renewing? I think one reason it's renewing to hear this passage of Mark chapter 8 is because when we die to ourselves and we take up our cross and we follow him, it lets us see Jesus more for who he really is and not who we just want him to be. But we see maybe the Jesus we never knew, but you can know. See, there's lots of Jesuses going around today. There's all sorts of Jesus happening all around the, our country. There's, there's TV Jesus who says, if you give me a little bit of your money, I'll help you be financially stable, and I'll help you be healthy, and you'll get a lot of girls, and you'll have a big house, you'll have a big fancy plane. And there's Hollywood Jesus that doesn't offend anybody. He's got blue eyes and, and pale skin, and he doesn't challenge you in any way. Or you've got magic eight ball Jesus that we take off the shelf and look at what he has to say and put him back until next year. Or there's political Jesus who might take over the U.S. government and make the country a Christian nation that never was to begin with anyway. Or on the other side, Jesus that only believes in social justice but doesn't do any of the hard work internally of looking inside of the motives of our hearts. See, we have all these you have all these pieces of Jesus. But none of these caricatures, they're not true. It's not who he is. And until you die to yourself and take up your cross and follow him, you're not going to, and lose your life for him, you're not going to see him as he really is. But see, the moment you let go of control is the moment you find freedom. The moment you seek first the kingdom of God the mo- is the moment you start to get more of what you always wanted to begin with. But when you go after it and grab it and want it for yourself and push God out of the way and say, no, Lord, you don't understand. I know what's right. And you start taking it for yourself. God says, don't do that. Follow me first. And in time, I will fulfill the desires of your heart. I remember when I let go of dating. When I was in my early 20s, I let go of dating. I was like, I'm done with this scene. I had some catastrophic failures. I will not go into detail here in public but ready to let go. I was like, I'm done with that situation. And I said to God one night in my bedroom, as a single guy, I said, God, I'm done, and just strike me with lightning when I meet her. Because until that happens, I'm, I'm out of the playing field, ladies. And when God brings, he does it, he does it, right? And I let go of that control, and I'm so glad I did. And then I, when I wasn't even looking for it, it happened. But it was in his timing, because he's God, he's going to work it out. But it's when you let go of the control, 
you let more of God be at work in your life. And this principle holds, even if you're not necessarily a religious person at all. This principle holds throughout life. For example, in your social life, if you try so hard all the time to make good impressions on people socially, it's not really going to work. But if you stop thinking about what sort of impression you're making, you'll probably make a better impression. Or in literature or art, if you focus only on being original, you might not ever actually be original. But if you simply just work your will and, and lay it out there as you feel it, nine times out of ten, you'll be original without even trying. This principle runs through life. If you give up yourself, you'll find yourself. If you lose your life, you'll save it. If, if you submit to death, death of your ambitions and your favorite wishes every day and death of your whole body in the end, if you submit every fiber of your being, you will find eternal life, Jesus says. Keep back nothing. If you look for yourself only, what you can take in this life that you've got, you're only going to find hatred and loneliness and despair and decay. But if you look for Christ, you'll find him. And you also get everything else thrown in that you never could have found otherwise. You know, the same Jesus that calls us to come and die these hard sayings of Jesus, it's still, it's, it's still the God of love. The God of love doesn't take a back seat when Jesus says hard things. It's still loving us in those moments. And the same Jesus that calls us to come and die and take up a cross and let go of your life, it's God doing it out of love for us. He's essentially saying to you, just, just come and lay down your burden. Just come and lay down your heart. Get back to the start. Let me remake you. Let me chisel off some of that stuff that needed, needed to go. Let me remake you to help teach you more of what I'm trying to say to you. Let's pray together. Jesus, your words bring such life to us. And you love us enough to challenge us, to want to shape and mold us, to want more for our lives than maybe we even know that we need. God, thank you that you challenge us in ways we never could have expected, but that when we're walking in faith, we're walking in the right direction. Lord, your word says that the righteous will live by faith, will walk by faith. Because if we're walking by faith, we're walking, that means that we're being led. If we're being led by you, that's always a good thing, even if it's hard, even if it's confusing. But God, in the end, you'll work it out for your glory. And because you're good, because you love us, you'll add to our lives more than we even imagined. If we seek first the kingdom, if we let go of our lives to find them, if we die to ourselves and our ambitions and make, God, we pray, make your ambitions ours. God, I thank you for the ways that you forgive us on how we want to get ahead of you. We want to run ahead of you and take it while we can. And we think we're doing the right thing. We pull up our bootstraps and we, and we make all, we, we want to do it ourselves. But God, forgive us for the ways that we think we know what's best. And you will, just like you forgave Peter when Peter thought he knew what he was doing. God, I pray that you give us spiritual eyes to see divine things, not just the human situations in our lives. Grow us in that way. God, we cannot do it ourselves. 
Lord, this morning we, we come as we are in this moment. We give you our lives and pray that you shape us and mold us into people that honor you, that point people to you. And we ask this in your holy name.